Welcome to BP Leadership Podcast, where real leaders are made. I'm your host, Bill Purvis. Today's episode, by the way, is uh, the beginning of our new series, Back the Blue. And we're going to begin with my guest, Officer David Josie. David's been on the police force now for over 30 years. He's got some incredible stories to show for it. In fact, we're going to talk about how he became a police officer and, and getting into narcotics unit, which he did for many years. And then he also spent a long time as an undercover agent. I mean, like the real-life guys you see on TV, he has actually lived in that world for long periods of time. And so today we're going to talk about some of that, and I'm looking forward to it with my friend David. So let's get started. 1990, my little brother got killed in a car wreck. Oh, man. And so I just wanted to flip my life. How many years younger was he? Uh, five. Wow. Yeah, and he was. It was actually his 25th birthday. Mm. Uh, him and his girlfriend were going to Atlanta. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Celebrate his birthday. They were going to Six Flags, actually. Right. And he was asleep. He had just got off work, and uh, she fell asleep at the wheel. Uh huh. And flipped the car. Oh man! And it threw him out in the highway, and he got ran over by a car. Oh man, David, that had to be bad. So. That had to be bad. That that had to take years off your mom's life. Oh yeah, it did. Too. My my parents my parents changed completely after that. Whole family changed. Yeah, completely. I would think. But my parents, you know, they really it you know it hurt all of us. But yeah, it, it really changed them. I would think that would because at that point I was actually uh, applying and had been accepted to go with the DEA, mm-hmm. and just for you know all this happening, I just couldn't mm-hmm. see leaving my my parents. Right, and so. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, you know, backed out and stayed right. here and uh, was with the sheriff's department actually then. Okay. And then changed over to a different agency. Mm-hmm. And then in 1994 is when I came on to the uh, Columbus Police Department. Right. Okay. So. All right. So, so the Columbus Police Department, now you were, you were, you, it was years ago when they had the Stock and Strangler case. Yeah. That was, long before, that was your before, time. before my time. Yeah. Yeah. Was, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, when I was working for, at the uh, sheriff's department, you start at the jail. Mm-hmm. And when I was working at the jail is when they brought Carlton Gary in. Oh, really? And uh, uh-huh. had him you know, locked up in the cell. And yep. that just, you know, the way they had to treat him because mm-hmm. of his lawyers. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you couldn't go into a cell. He had a stereo system. He had his own TV. Uh-uh. And he's in a single cell by himself. Just all this special attention. Yeah. And because, like I said, his lawyers were, you know, suing. And he, suing yeah. And he was accused of killing, what, like eight women, something like that? Yeah. Yeah. And then when he uh, was able to, uh, he almost escaped. Mm-hmm. Then after that, and uh, the sheriff's department, you know, did a complete flip mm-hmm. and you know, okay, you know, if you, you know, you know, we're doing what we're supposed to do. Right. He's a prisoner. He's going to be treated like a prisoner. Right. So yeah. he was taken out and put into a different cell and he wasn't able to get the stuff that he was getting at yeah. that time. So yeah, it's crazy. I remember that, that case, uh, of course there's been a lot written about it, but I remember a, yeah. a friend of mine is detective down in South Florida. And as soon as he found out I was from Columbus, First thing he said was, that's where that Stock and Strangler case was. Yeah. And he began to talk about how that they had read that, I guess, in in uh, school or something. And that, uh, you know, the guy had had like eight people that he broke into the house and killed, and yeah. one or two of them did live. So he started up north and worked his way down. Yeah. So, yeah. 
And he had, and what's crazy it was all in for people that don't know, it was all in one little, you know, section or region in in the city where these elderly, yeah. wealthy elderly ladies lived at, yeah. and uh, they were scared to go to sleep at night, and that was that was uh, that lasted for months. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So you came on after that. After that, yes, sir. All right. Yeah. So now, when you came on, now when you got into the the undercover side, what was that? What was that like? The yeah, do they just come in one day and say, "Would you like to try this?" No, you have to work your way up. I I, I started in uh, came on in '94, started in patrol, and mm-hmm. my actually, but I had worked the city with other agencies. So right. when I came into patrol, uh, I got put out on the street mm-hmm. and go to work, and it just you know kind of good for this other family because I'm riding up uh, Nina Street in mm-hmm. South Columbus and smoke mm-hmm. was boiling out of a house. Mm-hmm. So I went up and, you know, saw this elderly man on the floor right. in, the, uh, in the den mm-hmm. and a lady on the floor in the kitchen. So I kicked the door in, uh-huh. went in and, and carried the man out. Right. And the funny part was as soon as I dropped him, he raised his head up and said, is dinner done? Uh-uh. <laughs> The house is engulfed in flames. No. Uh, went back in, got the, got the the lady out, right. took her out, and then went back in to check. It was a two bedroom house, mm-hmm. a little small concrete house, and went back in and uh, cleared the house. Right. And so that uh, got me officer of the year. Uh huh. And so after that, I was asked. Uh, wow. Uh, While well, I was trying to get into the tax squad. Yeah. Because that's what I was doing with other agencies. And mm-hmm. and so I was asked, well, you know, it's full right now, but look, we got a spot in motor squad. Have you ever ridden a motorcycle before? <laughs> and I said, well, yes, sir. Yeah. All right. You're in motors Friday, uh-uh. start Monday. Right. I said, okay, great. So I did motors for six years. And oh, then, uh, and what got me into, which you know, I fell yeah. in love with the whole idea of with the Miami Vice. Yeah. You know, working, yeah. working drugs, you know. Yeah, that and was the deal. Our drug unit, Metro Narcotics, was to me, uh, you know, the, the the apple up on the shelf that you wanted to get, yeah. where you wanted to be, in my mind. Yeah, I could see it. And I worked, like I said, in motors. And then uh, after a while, you start seeing and understanding uh I guess the drug drug culture. Yeah. And uh, I arrested one guy that, uh, two guys mm-hmm. that pulled out of a neighborhood that actually somebody had told me that lived close to them. Right. You know, hey, you know, so-and-so selling dope mm-hmm. and he's moving dope. Right. And I said, okay, okay. So I just happened to be, and I was on my motor mm-hmm. and happened to be cutting through that neighborhood and I saw him come out of his house. Put a put a box in the trunk, close mm-hmm. it. Him and another guy got in and pulled right. out. So, yes, you know, unlucky for them, mm-hmm. they blew a red light coming oh. out. Coming out. So, right. Okay. So I let him up, pulled him over mm-hmm. on Williams Road at one eighty five. Right. And uh, so I walked up to the back of the car, the trunk, and it smelled like fresh cut marijuana. Mm. Yep. So, so I, they... I called uh, the guys in Metro, and I mm-hmm. said. Uh, look, you know, let me tell you who I got. Yeah. And let me tell you what I smell. Mm-hmm. And they were like, well, we'll be there in a minute. Right. Well, it took them about 30 minutes to get there. So they uh, got up there and brought a dog. Yeah. Dog alerted on it. Got yeah. these two guys out. Had two guns in the console. And mm. uh, got them out, got them handcuffed, opened the trunk, 40 mm-hmm. pounds of marijuana. Wow. So after uh. that, I got invited to come on to uh, 
Metro. Right. Okay. And in the area, part of this of this story was mm-hmm. uh, they brought these two guys in mm-hmm. and inter- interviewed them. Yeah. And then called me the next day and said, you know, come on up. You know, mm-hmm. Let me show you something. Right. And so the one guy is telling the other guy, look, I told you you should have let me kill him. If uh-uh. I'd have killed him, would have been a 185 and would have been gone. Wow. You should have let me kill him. Unreal. And they just put kind of a cold chill up, yeah. my, up my spine. Yeah, when you think and that's how far they'd go to save theirself. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you had to deal with that all the time. That's uh that that's the bad thing was the number of people people don't realize, I guess, you know, you don't think about it, we just say it, but in the line of work you're in, even with a police officer on the street, the fact is their life's in danger all the time. They have no idea how quick something's gonna go from from normal to to out of control. Yeah, it's and the so, unknown. You, you yeah, never know. Yeah. You never know who you're pulling over. And, yeah. Uh, because actually this one of the guys in that car, he had warrants on him for uh, uh, several rapes up in, I believe, Virginia. Wow. Gosh. And, and he was the one saying, you know, I told you, you should have let me kill him. Mm. Oh, gosh. Now, let me ask you this. When, there's a, when, you, when you started getting into that and started, like, even doing the undercover stuff with and all that, you have to get into a character, right? Just like acting or something. You do. Yeah. You do. And it is. It's just like acting. You yeah. put yourself in their role. Yeah. And so you got to build their trust. Exactly. Yeah. Now, how long does that take? Uh, it, it takes a while. Right. And you just, you know, and now, you know, my my. My favorite was, I mean, I could go out and buy dope from anybody pretty mm-hmm. much. Right. And, but my favorite that that I enjoyed and I felt that I was putting the hammer down more. Right, yeah. And because I would see these uh, young kids mm-hmm. out here on, on meth. Right. And it just, it would eat me up. Yeah. So I fell in, you know, to the meth thing. I yeah. got sent up to the DEA Academy wow. and went through uh, meth lab school. Yeah, you learned how to cook it, didn't you? Yes. Wow. <laughs> now, yep. do you get, when you're cooking it, do you, are you in danger then? Um, oh, yeah. It blowing up it or are you getting high or if, something if, like that? If you don't, <clears throat> you really wouldn't get high. You, you, okay. Uh, well, you know, when when you're doing it through the proper procedures, you know, right. you know, you're wearing the proper equipment. Okay. Yeah, but that's what used to kill me was you know some of these little meth heads. Yeah, they would uh, when they came up that, with a it's called the shake and bake method where mm-hmm. uh, they would use a sixteen to twenty ounce bottle. Right, and and you put all the ingredients up, mm-hmm. and the thing that they would do was dig a hole. Mm-hmm. And they would stand over by the hole, and they would shake the bottle up, drop it in the hole, and run. Uh-uh. If it didn't explode, then it was going to make meth. Wow. <laughs> and when I first heard that from one of the meth heads, I was like, seriously? Yeah. How many of them blew up in the process of learning? <laughs> exactly. What? Yeah. God, that's great. And, now, and the bad thing about that, isn't meth, I mean, you, you make it from all those chemicals. Yes. It's homemade. Yeah. And then they go and distribute it and sell it on the streets and all that. But the people that buy that stuff, what it does, once you take it the first time, isn't that like? Oh, you're hooked. Yeah, highly addicting. You're hooked. You're hooked. The DEA came up with a study that if if you did without for eight years uh-huh. and pretty much uh, go to a treatment center and lock mm-hmm. yourself in for eight years, mm-hmm. then you have a chance. Wow. But a chance to, to – Gosh. But I've seen people go into prison for mm-hmm. – five, six years, mm-hmm. and come out, first thing they do is uh, get back into meth, really? and, meth and actually meth and heroin. Wow. Because heroin's Now, yeah, awesome. okay, so 
right, back on the meth for a minute. There, there's, I've seen people that it's did like it, it, their teeth are rotted, their skin's all messed up. I mean, it gets splotches. I mean, it, it doesn't take long before it it starts affecting them in every way. Yeah. Now, when you talk about you know injecting or smoking or yeah, uh, eating, putting a uh, Coleman fuel and uh, acetone. And just all these chemicals. In your body. Yeah. And you just got to think, you know, what idiot was sitting around one day going, Yeah. You know, if I mix that can of Coleman fuel with some uh, Superfed, let's heat it up. Yeah. And you got to imagine with their, even with their, you know, with their brain, no wonder they're fried. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah that, I, I remember a, a friend of mine told me one time that he went to collect some money from somebody who owed him money. And he was like a house painter or something. He said, they owe me money and told me to come by on the first. He said, I drove over there, two grown adults. He said, they're standing out in the front yard, both of them naked and talking, and they were high on meth. And he said, they had no idea that, you know, how, that they were right there on a public road and how they were acting. He said, their mind was totally shocked. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, because some of these houses that, you know, you end up you yeah. know, getting a buy out of, and you go back and service, you know, do a search warrant. Yeah. You go in and they've got, uh, TVs and computers, just stacks of them in mm-hmm. the corner, just torn apart. Right. And like, you know, my first time, you know, I, you know when, yeah, you getting involved with that. I'm like, man, what, what, what are you doing? Yeah. I said, man, when you get high, you just got to do something. Uh-uh. Uh, we take this stuff apart, but I'm too stoned to put it back together. Uh-uh. And I can't remember how to put it back together after, after I calm down. Yeah. And I was like, Geez. so they would be, but that you could understand too. Those are the, their minds not with, that's why it's so dangerous. I guess you got to break in. Or go to arrest some of them, they they can flip on you, go nuts in a oh, yeah. in a matter of seconds. Yeah. All right. Well, my name's Hunter Patch, and I'm glad that you guys tuned in for part one of this conversation with David and Bill. And I don't know about you, but I loved it. I can listen to David share those stories all day long. And let me tell you, part two of this conversation that we're about to release next is so good because David's going to go in more detail about undercover, being undercover in the years he spent there and the things he learned and the stories and all that kind of stuff. It is so good. Those stories are amazing. So make sure that you stay tuned for part two coming up soon by hitting the subscribe button so that you can get notified when that podcast releases, as well as those of you watching on YouTube. Glad you're here and tuning in. Hit the bell so that you can get notified as well. And lastly, make sure you guys check us out on our new website. we got a new and improved website. We've done a lot of renovations to it and added a lot of cool features. So make sure you go to it. It's bpleadership.com, and you can find out all the other cool things that we do here at BP Leadership other than just this podcast. So make sure you check that out. And lastly, as always, thank you for tuning in. We're so glad you guys are watching. Can't wait to see you at our next episode, part two of Bill and David in the Back the Blue series. And remember that this is where real leaders are made. 